everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Outdoor PM School podcast, where we explore product management careers in the outdoor industry. We talk with PMs from top outdoor industry brands and ask them about their career path, what it's really like to be a PM, and any advice they would give others aspiring to follow the same path. My name is Dawson Westensko, and I'll be your host. During this episode, I talked with Jacob Wersch. Jacob is currently a product manager at Camelback over the running category. He began his career in financial counseling, but got his start in the outdoor industry doing customer support at American Rec, the parent company for brands like Kelty and Sierra Designs. He later moved to product development and eventually product management before moving to France, where he did a stint at Rosingo Skis. He has now been with Camelback for just over a year. This episode is brought to you by OutdoorPMSchool.com, an eight-week online course designed for aspiring outdoor industry product managers. Check out OutdoorPMSchool.com to learn more about who we are and how we can help. Welcome, Jacob. Great to have you here, and I'm excited to talk to you today about your career in the outdoor industry. Give us a little bit of a background of how you got into the industry, where you are, and what you're doing. Yeah, so I've always had kind of a a loose connection with the industry, Uh, my father was actually a, a bicycle shop owner, uh, as well as my grandfather and my great-grandfather. And uh, my father sold the business when I was uh, about 12 years old or 13 years old. Uh, so I ended up working for uh, one of the local competitors, actually. And uh, the big draw, all in all to me, was the, the gear itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the experience is one thing, certainly. You know, nothing beats getting out on a bike. Um, but the more time you spend out there, you know, the more you realize these little things matter. Uh, so I was so interested in, you know, all the different uh, configurations of bikes, all the different materials, you know, I was just endlessly, endlessly researching this type of thing. Uh, and then my family was just very outdoors oriented in general. So um, my my father built himself a 40 foot climbing wall for, for Father's Day one year. And, uh, and sorry, where, and where was that? What part of the country? Uh, outside of Cleveland in the, in the rural suburby area outside okay. of there. Cool. Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time camping, spent a lot of time with these heritage brands, you know, that I, I have the, uh, the opportunity to work for now. Um, so I've always had a connection there, you know, working with the, with the bike industry, you know, on a sales floor, you know, turning a wrench, that type of thing. Um, I, I felt really, really close. And in college, I, um, I just went to school like most people do, you know, where you're, you're kind of thrown into it. You're told, yeah, if you study something you're interested in, you'll get a job. It'll all work out. Uh, I picked philosophy and English literature. Nice. Perfect. Common theme in the outdoor industry. I can't think of (laughs) many PMs I know that studied English for whatever reason. Yeah, Uh, I actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I knew, I knew a guy at REI. He was a, uh, literally a rocket scientist before he joined REI and he did, uh, he kind of did the product testing lab. It is funny to see kind of people's different backgrounds though. Uh, you know, degrees, Totally vary, right? There's no common theme, I would say. Certainly, and I'm sure all the all the PMs listening to this are nodding their heads, you know, right? Uh, with their own experience. And anyone who isn't a, a PM, I mean, the the one thing I can tell you is don't feel intimidated. There's nothing quite, you know, to prepare you for for this type of work. So, um, yeah, I got out of college, you know, didn't have a plan, and did uh, the the fabled trip out to Boulder, you know, and you go to visit someone, and you never come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I was in love with the rock climbing. I was in love with just, you know, all the outdoor access you have there. And, uh, the first job I found was a customer service job with, uh, American recreation products. And that's, uh, at the time it was Kelty, uh, Sierra designs, ultimate direction, 
uh, Slumberjack, Wenzel, you know, just a loose collection of of uh, camping brands and outdoor brands. Yeah, and and just for everyone listening, that that's changed hands now, right? So the owner is. Who, do you know who the owner is? Yeah, it's like Sell Outdoors now. And Excel, so they were that's right. Some more uh, mass market camping stuff, and wanted to uh, diversify their portfolio. But Excel had been in the game for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did uh, Isis, which was you know uh, women's clothing. They did yes. uh, uh, Royal Robins at one point was owned by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know a number of water sports all kinds of different things but um mm-hmm. i was interested you know in in working for a somewhat relaxed company you know nothing too formal that has to wear a suit nothing like that uh and then of course the gear deals you know nothing beats getting things at cost um and so yeah i did you know six months of customer service ended up doing dealer service and uh servicing international accounts and amazon but the uh the main interest and the main draw for me within the company was the uh, the product managers and the uh, the developers. They were just like the rock stars. And and I'm curious, did you know that at that point, or did you just like over time you said, "Man, that's that's where I want to be." After spending a little bit of time in the company, it was after spending a little bit of time there. You know, there was company wide meetings. You'd go to these people with customer service questions. You know, for the real, real specific customer questions. And, uh, these guys had all the answers, you know, they were just like, so on their game. Uh, and like I said, they're like rock stars, like envied them. I was like, I'm going to do that someday. Um, and so, yeah, you know, gradually I shifted my focus towards, uh, development, uh, any free time I would get at all. I'd offer to help out, you know, whether it was volumizing packs, you know, to, to decide what the, the leaderage is, uh, or what the capacity is. And, uh, you know, measuring things, really busy work that they didn't want to do. But at the time, it was so interesting to me. And, and so did you did you have your eyes on product management specifically or just product in general? And you saw development as an opportunity to get your, you know, to get into that part of the business? Definitely product in general. I think at this time, too, you know, it was all a little blurry to me. All these people got to work on the product, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. People were traveling. All these people were coming back with all these cool toys and prototypes. Yeah. Uh, the product in general was really what had interested me. Um, and so my, my first foray into product, uh, an opening, uh, something opened up a position within uh, Ultimate Direction, uh, which is a, for anyone listening, it's a running company, um, very, very technical products for the, the ultra marathoners, you know, um, people going ultra, ultra lightweight and fast packing um, and just, you know, all kinds of, you know, human powered exploits really is the the easy way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, So just compelling product. I mean, they were definitely the core users were also working on it Uh, and a position opened up and I, I just badgered the the brand manager day after day, you know, for the job and they're bringing in people and interviewing them. And, you know, I didn't technically have experience, but I had done everything I could up to that point to, to get my hands on product and help where I could. And uh, eventually I wore them down. So uh, I did development for some time, I think a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then generally just kind of moved over to product management. Once I understood the differences better, uh, under, understood my own strengths um, and interests a little bit better, I think it, it felt like much of a better fit for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's how I got into uh, to the outdoor industry and in a broader sense to product management. Yeah. And so after, you know, you spent some time at American Rec, you worked on some different products there. And then where did you, where did you head after that? Uh, well, I did American Rec for five or six years. 
Uh, and then I had an opportunity with a former colleague to go out to uh, France and work for uh, Rosigmo and their collection of brands. Um, so for, for those that don't know, it is the largest ski manufacturer in the world. Uh, and they're based in the Rhône-Alpes of France. Um, but they own just a whole host of brands. They own uh, bicycle companies. They own uh, just high-end wool sweater companies, fashion brands, um, you know, hiking companies, all kinds of things. Um, and so I moved over to a role there and was uh, doing product management for all of their OEM and SMU goods, which is original equipment manufacture and special makeup, which mm-hmm. are similar but different, really. Right. Yeah, very cool. And so you spent, was it a year, about a year in France? Yeah, I did a one-year contract there. Just got my feet wet, you know, decided if it was something I wanted to do long-term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a terrific experience. I got to, to do more apparel than ever before, mm-hmm. uh, just more travel, more international business. And so, wow. yeah, it was, uh, an awesome experience. So I did a year contract there and uh, just settled last October here in, uh, in uh, Petaluma, California, working for Camelback. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And you manage the, the run category at Camelback as well. Yeah, I do the run category there. I brought my expertise from uh, Ultimate Direction and then one of Rosignol's brands, Raid Light. Uh, I do the hike product here, the uh, the reservoirs, and some uh, upcoming special collaboration products. I can't go too, too into <laughs> There's always top secret, right? That, uh... Of course, yeah, that's fun of the I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about product management is, you know, even talking with the sales folks and talking with customer service people, it it almost catches you off guard sometimes when people are like asking you questions and you're like, we still sell that. <laughs> I, you know, I thought we were, you know, we're phasing that because you're always like two years in advance, right? Oh, so yeah. your, your perspective on the business is totally different than, than, you know, you still have to keep an eye on those things, but you're really focused a couple of years out for the most part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the breadth of the job goes all the way from the conception of a product, you know, from the day it is, you know, even mentioned, you know, a shadow of an idea, uh, all the way to end of life, you know, even when something's been in the market for a few years, do you, you know, put a put a lid on it at one point so that it stops, you know, cannibalizing new product? Do you shift that to an SMU, you know, and make that available only to, uh, you know, an international retailer? So you're really looking at a product from before it's made all the way past when it's it's been finished. So mm-hmm. it's a, uh, when you talk about product lifespan, I mean, many, many times the the product outlives your your position at the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back to American Rec, you mentioned you started in dealer services, you did some sales, uh, and then you moved into this development role before you made the jump to product management. So what was that first six months as a product manager in that first role? What was that like for you? It was, I mean, it was a lot. The, the one thing I think I would describe as a common thread, everywhere I've worked has a different definition for for product management. But really what you're doing is you are collecting as much data as possible for the product line and then making sure that the right pieces of data get to the right people, you know, so you're getting measurements from the designers, giving those to your, your international distributors. You're getting questions asked by marketing, uh, you know, for color pantones and having to go into documents and pull those out. Uh, and just the amount of organization required was, it was a lot to dive into really. Um, and the one thing I kind of learned, you know, it was, it was very, very uh, exciting at first, but it was a little overwhelming. Uh, and the one thing I learned was you don't always have to have the answers. It's more important to have a plan of how to get those, you know. Um, when you're asked something, you have to know who to go to to get it, um, you know, whether it's the manufacturer, whether it's people that you work with. 
Um, and then it's kind of on you to decide how that's organized, where these, um, you know, what format of template lives for, uh, you know, whether it's product specs, whether it's marketing collateral, whether it's sales data, um, it's, uh, that, that's the six months is really just figuring out what goes where. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things you described is super important too, that not, you know, it becomes really evident as soon as you start doing the job, but how important that collaboration piece is. And I always describe it. There's kind of two forms of collaboration in my experience. You can tell me if this matches what, what you've seen or not, but the first is, this collaboration within the product team itself, right? Because you have design development, product management, and there's parts and pieces and collaboration and, you know, having the right discussions with the right people at the right time. And you're kind of doing that collaboration in that group. And then you're also kind of collaborating between that group and the rest of the organization. Like you mentioned, marketing, distribution, sales, operations, and all those different pieces, kind of making sure that the product relevant pieces are getting communicated back and forth between those two groups. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, you know, when I look at it in terms of a framework, I see it like a wheel. Um, and of course, you know, just being as egocentric as us PMs are, I'm the center of the wheel. Uh, <laughs> Always, you know, of course. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm a conduit more or less. So the information has to come to me and then go from me to the right people. Uh, and it also, you know, it doesn't always, uh, freely flow. You have to ask the right questions. Uh, you have to, know what's going to be asked of you in the future, you know, have it prepared. Uh, and that's, you know, boils down to the the common thread across all PM jobs uh, that I've worked, that I've had friends who've worked in. Uh, that's the, I think the most common theme is just, you are the the keeper of the info and the keeper of the docs. Yep. So, so that's what the first six months look like. What, what do you find or, and this could maybe change over time, but what have you found to be the most challenging part of the PM role? I think even, you know, up to this point, it's still figuring out, you know, where these uh, bottlenecks are for information, where the blockages are, and making sure everyone has what they need. Um, And then each individual job, you know, has its own specific demands. You know, a big common thread, too, is working with developers and with designers. I mean, you are a product person, first and foremost, um, and you you have such a huge hand in directing the design. at like a, a big macro level, but at a micro level, you know, you have to, to let it go uh, and let the designers do their jobs. And so it's really so, it's a lot of balancing. So um, what's, an exa- what's an example of that? I think that's a great, um, you know, that nuance of like how that actually works working with the designer. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. How does that work? How do you strike that yeah. balance? Yeah. And so, when well, you know, when I was a naive PM first, you know, first working, um, one of the challenges I had was you giving a little bit too much freedom to a project. You know, we just want to make the best six liter running pack, let's say. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, that's, it's a little too much, um, freedom for the, for the designers. Um, you know, you're not specking how, how expensive it's going to be, where it's going to land in the market and compete against, you know, other brands or other, uh, market leaders. And so, you know, I learned, it's easier for the designers and they appreciate it, you know, even more than I do um, to upfront say, look, we're looking for something six liters. It's got to be at the $120 price point uh, and has to be more feature rich than this, this, and this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, you don't want to be too prescriptive either. You don't want to step on their toes. You don't want to design for them. Uh, it's certainly, you know, not something I went to school for something that I, I claim to be an expert at. Uh, 
Uh, and so it's a balance. That's, I think, a continuously evolving challenge depending on the team you're with, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the product at hand. And I think, you know, 15 years from now, if I'm still a product manager, that's going to be a, uh, a challenge for me, you know, to find that balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's a really great point. One of the things that, that I recommend to people or I try and paint this picture for them is that, number one, it varies by, by team, Right. Just like you said, there are, you know, an important part of being successful is being able to work with someone and understand how they need to be fed information. Right. And what's too much versus too little versus, you know, based on how they like to look at problems, which is super important. And then the other side of it is just looking uh, at overall, you know, project based as well, because, again, if it's a large innovation project, you want to be less prescriptive. Right. Versus, hey, we really do just need kind of this product to fill this space. So you have to be more prescriptive. And that totally varies by company and project and season and and all those things combined. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I could have said it better myself. Awesome. Well, cool. So uh, during that first six months, what would you say your biggest surprise was? You know, you kind of had seen the product team working. You had been a product developer for a while. What, What really surprised you? Uh, and, and maybe what surprised you at different companies? You mentioned roles are different at different companies, which I think is super important for people to understand. So what have been some of your biggest surprises? I think the surprise going into each of these different PM roles for me was just, uh, you know, how far your foot is into each camp, whether it's marketing or design. You know, I've had PM roles where I've been doing the um, the proofing of colors and looking at the swatches at a light box, you know, which is typically, you know, a developer role or a designer role. Um, you know, at Camelback, we're very, very involved on the marketing side of things here, uh, as a PM. And so it just, you know, each time you start a new job, it's really figuring out where your role begins and where it ends. And every PM role, you're wearing a ton of hats, you know, it's just what, what collection of hats are you wearing in each role? Yeah. And have you, have you found that, you know, I know for me through, through my career, I have found things that I liked and things that I didn't like, or that I liked less. And it's really hard to guess what your preferences are going to be until you actually get into a role. So it takes a little bit of time to figure out, oh, that's that's the type of PM role that this is going to be, right? You can kind of see from the outset once you've learned a little bit, but, um, you know, it takes a little bit of experience, I think, to, to, to understand that. And there's no right or wrong answer, right? It's just preference. Different people prefer different types of roles or different types of involvement or excel in different situations, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's not a right or wrong answer, like you said. And to be fair, you know, it's not set in stone when you start either, you know, you can find places within a new organization where you excel, you know, and you can kind of move into those spaces and and make it your project. Um, And, you know, a lot of of PM work is delegating too, you know, so there's things you might not excel at, or you recognize another person within the organization is an expert, you know, knows better than you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, involving them at the minimum in the conversation, uh, you know, putting them in charge of, of a piece of a project. Um, yeah, it's, it's a constantly evolving role. Each company is different. You know, each project within a company is different. Um, and for me, that's, that's one of the fun parts is you're just never complacent. Things are never the same. Uh, like they say, the only uh, constant is change. Mm-hmm. So you've done these different PM roles at these different companies. What is your favorite part of the job? I just going back to what I said, wearing so many hats, you know, and getting to be a partial expert at so many different things. Uh, and for me, you know, that's sitting in on a, uh, marketing meeting, you know, and helping come up with copy sometimes or coming up with slogans because, 
you've been with the project longer than, you know, anyone else has typically. Um, with all three of the companies I've worked at, uh, we've been very, very high-end project products, which is, for me, you know, keeps me interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also means I get to work with a lot of world-class athletes. Um, so bringing them into the office, seeing people who are beyond a core user, you know, where uh, the placement of a pocket could really change the outcome of a race for them or whether or not they use the, the product. It's extremely interesting to me to, to tune a piece of gear to just the highest demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's really fun. The travel is just an excellent part too, whether it's trade shows, uh, factory visits. Um, mm-hmm. You're just, I mean, with, with the current situation, I haven't been doing a whole lot of travel, but uh, <laughs> it, it's been really nice to do in the past. You know, for, for Camelback specifically, we're very, very lucky. It's it's probably one of the better resourced companies in the industry in terms mm-hmm. of the insights we do. And so we do user insights panels at state parks where we bring people in and have them try out prototypes. Awesome. Uh, with the Corey Stringer Institute uh, at the University of Connecticut. So I was out there right before this pandemic started. Um, and it's a, it's a biometrics lab Mm -hmm. and the big focus there is hydration and, uh, you know, how, how athletes respond to it. And some of that's body heat, some of that's exertion, uh, but it really boils down to hydration. And, you know, it's named after an athlete who, who unfortunately died because of some hydration issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's a cool cause to work for. It's, um, nice just to work with scientists, you know, who excel at this and have a very, very, um, different, you know, scope of view and, and, and how we make our products. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting to work, you know, at a, at that level with university researchers has been really, really cool. There's, there's just no limit to the number of hats you can wear in this job. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned is also super interesting that you alluded to about different ways of doing market research. I don't know if you get this question a lot, but I definitely have people asking me the question of, well, how do you do market research? And my experience is that that's another thing that hugely varies between brands, right? Because there's different resources, there's different processes. You know, I think product managers have to be scrappy to figure out how to do pro- how to do market research, and you sort of do the best with the tools you have and try and evolve those tools. Uh, but it is different everywhere, right? And I don't know if you have any experience with that or what your thoughts are about about market research, how that's varied for you. Yeah, there's not something. There's no way to teach it. You have to be scrappy. And uh, you have to get really, really creative to get market research. You know, right now I work for a company that's that's really well resourced. So we, you know, bring in consumers. We have them try our product against competitors. Uh, we have all kinds of systems in place to, you know, test existing products. Uh, but then to look, you know, more into the market uh, rather than just specific consumer needs. Uh, of course, there's tools like NPD. And you can see, you know, what the best-selling running packs are, you know, between six and 12 liters. You can see what the best selling bicycle bottles are, that type of thing. Uh, and not all companies are going to have that. And it's not always even pointing you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a, a sliver of all the information you need. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it takes a lot of creativity. You know, it's a small industry. You know, if I'm trying to figure out um, the run industry again, I'll just keep going back to that since that's my, my area of expertise. Um, Sometimes you have to reach out to a parallel brand, you know, that's non-competitive and they sell shoes, you know, and they're not interested in hydration. We're not interested in shoes, for example. Um, so you start an open dialogue and you say, you know, what's, what's this look like to you, you know, with more brick and mortar closing in the near future, how are you guys adapting to it? 
Um, on top of that, I mean, the, the internet just is a treasure tro- trove of, uh, of good info, but you have to know where to dig again for run. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love digging into there's a yearly, uh, Strava report mm-hmm. where they pull all the data from their users and they can say, you know, we have, uh, people on average are running, you know, two and a half miles longer, you know, per run or something like that since five years ago. And it has very serious implications for, for the product we're making, you know, when you do, two and a half more miles, that means you probably need hydration. You know, you probably need an extra layer, you know, because you're starting earlier uh, in the day, that type of thing mm-hmm. um, for camping gear, uh, you know, camp stops of America or campsites of America, KOA, they do a yearly report on camping trends and mm-hmm. there's a lot of free stuff out there. You have to know where to look uh, and, and, you know, sometimes which people to ask, but it's you absolutely have to be creative and how you get it and how you interpret it. Right. And, and be a little scrappy too. And none of those pieces of data are, are a complete picture, right? To your point, it's about assembling the most number of data points. And then the, the art behind it is pulling all of those things together to be able to make good assumptions. Right. And that's the hard part, but that's the also kind of the art and the science of the job and MPD data. You know, I worked at one company that had MPD data. It is amazing how few have MPD data, especially just small to medium-sized outdoor brands. Many, many do not. And to your point, sometimes it's valuable and sometimes it's not. Oh, yeah. You know, and again, you know, if you don't have MPD data, go to some – if you're at OR, you know, you can go to some of the the seminars. Mm -hmm. And some of that stuff will pop up. You know, copy it down. You know, you got to be scrappy when you're, you're working for a small company. Um, but again, yeah, you don't have a complete picture of the data ever, even if you have you know, every single subscri- subscription in NPD, even if you're paying, you know, third parties to get market data for you and do market research. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my mind, it's like a, it's a thesis, you know, yeah. uh, you're making a hypothesis and, you know, I'm saying, for example, runners are going to be demanding less space in the future. They're running shorter, you know, they're carrying fewer things, the gear they're carrying is getting lighter weight. You know, that's just an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is the product I think will fit that need. And here's the data that supports this product, making it into the, into the market. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a tremendous amount of resources to take an idea and turn it into a product. You know, there's marketing dollars, you're paying for tooling, you know, you're paying costs for travel, for factory development. And it's a gamble, you know, and you want to be, as educated as you can when you make this, this gamble. And so I think, yeah, the first thing is you propose a product and you, you try to justify its existence with as much data as you can, you can gather. The first thing is convincing people within your organization, you know, and then convincing the sales guys that it's something they can sell, convincing the stores, you know, that they're, it's something they should carry and will benefit them. Uh, And then at the very last level, you know, through marketing and through, through product marketing, uh, it's convincing the consumer it's something they need. You know, if they already have a running vest, why should you upgrade? If you don't have a running vest, why is ours better than, you know, one of our competitors? Mm-hmm. So one question I love to ask product people is what's your favorite project or product that you have worked on during your career? You know, it's always whatever I'm currently working on, you know, because <laughs> beginning to, to end in most cases. Uh, and, you know, right now, some of the run stuff we're working on, it's just all new materials. It's lighter. It fits better. We're working with, uh, you know, world-class athletes. We're working with the Corey Stringer Institute uh, to provide a product that that breathes better, that uh, hydrates you better. Um, we just launched a product. Actually, it's called the Zephyr Vest. 
Um, and we've just been getting award after award globally for this thing. Uh, and it's a 12 liter vest. It's, you know, just under 200 grams. Uh, but the really, really interesting thing on it that we did is we made them male and female specific. And one thing you'll hear, especially new people in this industry, get ready to hear it for the next 20 years, uh-huh. is people complaining about shrink and pink. Yeah. Where you design a product for a man and then you make a smaller, pinker version, you know, that will inevitably sell for women is, is what happens. And uh, a lot of companies, you know, have done a great job in the last few years of gearing, you know, bikes specifically to women. You know, I think of uh, like Liv and Juliana, you know, within the bike industry uh, and some, you know, very, very specific component changes they've done to, to gear towards women. And in the soft goods, you know, whether it's apparel or whether it's packs, uh, I think we're, we're a bit behind. And so what we did was we took a back panel and we took biometric data on how people sweat, how they disperse heat, uh, and how it varies between a man and a woman. And you'd be surprised looking at a heat map, how different it is. Uh, and with the, the newer technology of being able to 3D engineer a knit mesh, mm-hmm. um, we could supply more airflow in those areas for a man and a woman specifically. Um, you know, so you sweat less, you're operating at a lower temperature, all of these things that, you know, top athletes demand. Uh, it really comes down to, you know, to a biological level of, mm-hmm. of how your gender reacts to, uh, to heat and to, um, you know, to uh, hydration. Yeah, I think it's super interesting and really rewarding to solve a real problem. And, you know, to a little, that's sort of where you're getting at, right? There's this real opportunity that there's an actual difference in how uh, men and women experience wearing a backpack, right? And how that comfort is, is achieved uh, and you're solving this real problem. That's really satisfying, right? As a product manager. Totally. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's all fluff, you know, when, you know, you see a lot of these product specs, you know, it's 10 grams lighter. And what that means, it it doesn't do much, you know, by the Mm -hmm. end of a, of a marathon or at the end of a 50 mile race, uh, you know, something like this that makes a big difference is it's just amazing to do using mm-hmm. technologies to kind of fit that need uh, and kind of, you know, the, the marriage of those, you know, the technology and the need is just, it's, it's fun to, to kind of figure that out and to be the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you know, you know, being the first doesn't mean anything. You just, you want to be the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure, you know, other brands are coming out with these, these new, back panels, whether it's for hiking, whether it's for running. So we're already on the next step, you know, trying to put yeah. the newest, the best. So it's, it's been really, really rewarding to work with just top scientists, top athletes, mm-hmm. um, and, and come out with a, a product that just excels. Very cool. Uh, have you read any books that you feel like have helped you in your career in product management? Yeah, quite a few, actually. I'm constantly trying to learn as much as I can. Um, the one I go back to every couple of years, um, and I would recommend to everyone is the product manager's survival guide. Hmm. And that's by Haynes. What is his, I have it here somewhere. Stephen Haynes is his name. Um, and the reason I would recommend this is it kind of predates this. If you get online and try to Google something you need for product management, it will almost inevitably lead you down a rabbit hole of software product mm-hmm. management yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's a completely different job. Um, and this really is focusing on manufactured goods. Uh, it goes down to the specifics of, you know, what the process looks like of managing a product line uh, and then gets into some of the nuances that really makes people good at their job. And it's figuring out the culture of your industry, you know, mm-hmm. how to have some uh, foresight 
into, you know, things that could go wrong and how to plan for them ahead of time. Uh, and it's something that, you know, sits on my nightstand. It gets picked up once every two years or so, or I use it as a reference. So that's one I'd recommend to everyone, especially new product managers. Um, I think outside of that, another one I come back to again and again, it's called the uh, 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're familiar with that one. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, if you take this, if you go to business school, it's almost a must read. Uh, there's an updated version I'd recommend that actually does take in, into account the, uh, the online world of branding. Uh, the original does not have that. But uh, it's really, really clear cut cases of true laws that you should almost follow to a T uh, with real life examples, you know, whether it's Rolex, whether it's Chevrolet. Um, and it'll show you how people use these laws to excel and people who ignored them and failed. Uh, and branding is a very, very big component of the, uh, the product manager's job. You know, you want to make sure your products are aligned with the brand, that it builds strength for your brand. Um, and so that's, that's another book I'd recommend to everyone. And that's by Al Reese, correct? Al and Laura Reese, yeah. I think it's yeah. uh, the two of them did it. And really most of their books, I don't know if you've read Positioning or if you have read The Evo- or the Origin of Brands. Uh, those are also really great books by them that are uh, you know follow a similar, I would say, logic and are super interesting reads for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I haven't gotten – I've gone into their, some of their marketing. They have their Laws of Marketing book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other ones you mentioned are on my short list and – of course, my short list is probably about 60 books long right now. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's, um, you know, there's a uh, book called Purple Cow I just read that I really appreciated by, uh, by uh, Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. Yep, also a good one. And it's just how to set your, your product apart, which, you know, today it's just it's harder and harder to do. Mm-hmm. There are so many brands in the arena. The big one in the outdoor industry now is competing with Kickstarter brands. Yep. Uh, or if you're a Kickstarter brand, you know, and you're listening to this, you, you need to have, you know, differentiate your product too. Uh, and the book, it's just very, very real, you know, it's straightforward. It's not too scholarly. Uh, it's, uh, it's a really good, it's a really short read. So I'd recommend that everyone too. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I agree. Yeah. Those are great recommendations. Uh, any favorite tools or apps or frameworks that you use that have, you know, you've found have simplified your job or have helped you organize or manage uh, the, the role? I wish there was a magic bullet. I mean, honestly, you should be good at Excel and know how to do, you know, do everything mm-hmm. in Excel. If you're going to put it on a resume as a uh, product manager, uh, outside of that, you know, managing my to-do list, I use Todoist personally. It's not something I have the, uh, the team do or anything like that. This is just for me to balance all of the constantly changing needs and to kind of uh, create a triage of, of what's most important now and today and what can wait till tomorrow. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no magic bullet. There's no PM software or anything I've used. That's, you know, far above the rest, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Any advice that you would give for people aspiring to get into product management in the outdoor industry? I would say just do it. I'm the perfect example. I went in with an English and philosophy degree and you, you got to get your feet wet. You're going to make mistakes. And the more time you spend doing it, uh, the, the better you're going to get. There's there's not a ton to prepare yourself. You can read all you can, but until that trial by fire, uh, if it's something you're interested in, I would say just dive into it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I think learning on the job is a required part of product management. Nothing can quite prepare you, uh, even because there's so much variability, right, between between the role. So maybe one last question for you. 
what do you wish you would have known earlier in your career? Or is there something that you would have done differently now as you look back at decisions you've made or how you've done things, anything you'd, you would, you point out? You know, um, if I could start today and start over again, um, doing something like you're offering, honestly, you know, this is not something you asked me to say or, or anything like that. You know, if I had had, you know, an outdoor PM school or a program like this, um, one, just to have insight from other people who have done it. Um, and two, just to also have a connection to other people interested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would have been really, really helpful. A big, a big part of the job is going into it confidently. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's anything you can learn in college that's going to fully prepare you, but going in confidently and, and having something like that, that outdoor PM school would have been just really, really nice for me, especially that first six months. Right. We you're kind of just fumbling all the time. You're asking mm-hmm. questions and you are providing answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having the confidence to go in there and just do the job, uh, something like that would have been, been clutch. Yeah, well, and for me, that was part of my thinking was, it's really what I wish I would have known, right? It's the class I wish I could have taken when I was trying to make the jump into product management and specifically into outdoor. Uh, and then the other piece, you know, you mentioned if you Google product management, you end up at more of a software development or, you know, tech type of, you know, type of community or type of content, which, you know, there's some that's relevant, but for the most part, it's pretty different, right? It's pretty, it's pretty distinct, especially when you start getting more and more detailed. And so for me, it was like, man, like outdoor product management, physical goods, like it's a real thing. It's a real expertise. It's a real craft, you know, and there's no reason that there shouldn't be just as much uh, like content and learning and like expertise around that compared to any other type of product management or product development. Right. Oh, yeah. and that, Absolutely. I've really enjoyed this podcast as part of that process because, you know, when you talk with someone that's been in product management, for me, there's just like an instant connection and there's so much common in some ways, there's such a shared kind of perspective on the world, at least when it comes to like work and jobs and creating product, there's a lot of like shared passion there, you know, that's really fun. I think to talk with people that you're on the same wavelength with, which is, which is, is really fun and cool. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I've met a product manager at this point, you know, that's not extremely passionate, you know, about the product they make or the the company they work for. Uh, and that isn't willing to, you know, share with you, you know, what they, yep what they have found over, over their time or their experiences. So where can people connect with you or, you know, follow what you're doing? I don't know if you're into Instagram or LinkedIn or what, where's the best place for people to find you? I am on Instagram. It's not product focused. It's mostly just my adventures that I haul a camera around with. Uh, so that's my last name, Worsh. It's W E A R S C H J. My first initial, uh, is my Instagram handle. It's nothing clever. Uh, and similarly, you can find me if it's, um, you know, if you have product questions, you know, I'm always willing to to reach out to people that are looking for legitimate help. Uh, it is at this point, you know, a lot of digging through uh, through uh, factories, you know, emailing me mm. about their new packs and stuff. I'm sure you get a bunch of that, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, LinkedIn, I'm very, very happy to use it, you know, the way it was intended, which is to mm-hmm. the business network, you know, to point people in the right direction, that type of thing. Uh, so again, feel free to add me on there. Again, it's Jacob, and the last name is W E A R S C H Worsh. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Jacob. I really appreciate you taking the time. Great to learn more about your background and, and I hope people find uh, your experience helpful. So thanks. And, and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And good luck on your, uh, your outdoor PM school and uh, the future of the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Jacob. This episode is brought to you by OutdoorPMSchool.com, an eight-week online course designed for aspiring outdoor industry product managers. Check out OutdoorPMSchool.com to learn more about who we are and how we can help. 